Hello, and welcome to Two Minute Stories. Episodio 4. Episode 4 of the lockdown version of the show. I hope you're all doing grand. How are we doing? Lockdown's dragging on, in it? Good grief. Even when it's winding down, it seems that it's going to go on in some version for a long time, doesn't it? Oh, it's going to be a while. Do you think things are going to get normal? No, they're not. They're going to be playing football in front of no one. People are going to be, some people are going to be crowding the beaches and pubs, aren't they? And other people are going to be um, berating those people (laughs) from a safe distance in passive-aggressive ways, staying at home and wiping everything. Oh, what a funny time we live in. What have you been doing? I've been reading screenplays and I've been watching weird art house films by Claire Denis. Have you seen High Life? It's terribly odd. It's also not very good. I'm going to go out on a limb there and say, do you know what? High Life is not very good. The whole Juliette Binoche inseminating people thing and riding a dildo chair. Sorry, Claire Denis. Beau was better. I mean, Robert Pattinson's a simmering male lead, isn't he? And it's nice to see him caring for a bubba. But Juliet Binoche and the dildo chair? Come on, come on, Claire, love. We don't need to see Juliet doing that. Come on. 35 Shots Run. Now, that's a good film. So you take an interesting French art house director, you give him Robert Pattinson and a spaceship, and you see what you get? Dildo chairs. That's what you get. Hope you're happy now, whoever funded that. I mean, it's good that weird films get funded. Keep funding the weird films. We need weird films. Who have we got on the show today, Chris? Can you stop talking about dildo chairs and tell us he's on the show? Yes, I can and I will. We have none other than Vani Capodeo and Michelle Green. Oh, yes. Two highly experienced and decorated writers, poets. Tell us more about them then, Chris, because not everyone who listens to the show knows who all the guests are. All right, then. Vani Capodeo was born in Port of Spain, Trinidad. They earned a PhD at Oxford University, where they were a Rhodes Scholar, Ah, studying translation theory and Old Norse. They completed a research fellowship at Girton College, Cambridge University. That's a CV and a half, isn't it? Their poetry collection includes No Traveller Returns, Undraining Sea, Dark and Unaccustomed Words, Utter, Measures of Expatriation, which won the 2016 Forward Prize, and Venus as a Bear. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. And Varney's going to be talking to us from Trinidad. We're going to hear about what the lockdown is like in the Caribbean. Yes, sir. Notice how I did not attempt a Caribbean accent during that. Pat on the back, Chris. We're going to hear from Michelle Green. Michelle Green's 
multi-award nominated short fiction collection Jebel Mara, which is highly recommended, about her time as an aid worker in Darfur, is published by Comma Press. And her work has also appeared in the Comma Press anthology Protest, Stories of Resistance on BBC Stories of Resistance and on BBC Radio 4. And her poetry has appeared in numerous anthologies, numerous, too many even to name because I did not write them down. So there we go. Varney's going to tell us about experiencing the lockdown in an active earthquake zone. Yeah. And you thought you had it tough. And about a fear of geckos. And now... I don't know what Vani's complaining about with the geckos because I lived in Thailand and I bloody love the geckos. Even the big ones, the giant geckos. In fact, they were my favourites. You can't touch them though because they bite. You may want to go up and stroke a finger on their little heads. Actually, they're quite big on their big heads, their big blue scaly heads. You might want to go and stroke a little finger on their head with the big giant gecko. But you can't because they'll bite you it'll hurt little ones they don't bite but they're too quick you can't get at them to stroke their little heads even though you want to plus it scares them you shouldn't do it don't do it leave them be michelle's going to talk to us about tactility the loss of touch and smell during the lockdown and the value of a wet sheep now how many podcasts have you listened to this week that discuss the value of wet sheep. Huh? None, I postulate. That's called originality. Should we hear from Varney? Yeah, let's hear from Varney. The thing about being locked down in an earthquake zone, which is just a little active, The thing about being locked down in an earthquake zone is that it feels like being locked in with the earthquake which might come, yet there isn't the technology to predict. It's no kind of solitude at all. There are the little shakes where the ground goes like a big marshmallow and you hear the birds doing speeded up roosting calls, shrieking their way to branches as if branches meant safety. There's the jolt, like the shrug of a giant earth shoulder, the house goes up and down, the sofa in the house goes up and down, you go up and down with the sofa in the house, then everything settles. Then there's the one you don't want to think about, that you heard coming over the hills, and there's the one that might come after that, which you don't think about even harder. The invisible world exceeds the visible. You know this. It's not hard to imagine the coronavirus inhabiting the air. It's not hard to accommodate invisible changes in the very air. Disaster consciousness. Is it some kind of transferable skill? But how do you know in isolation if you're still in touch with reality? Well, you can check if you have your normal range of everyday phobias, like mine, of geckos. The lizards that lie in wait and jump from all kinds of heights and angles, from the side of a cupboard, up from inside a shoe. I'm psychologically fine. I have the everyday phobias I always did. They've not been displaced by the new pandemic panic. I still am petrified of geckos. And the geckos have been becoming wilder and bolder. They hang their tails down from cracks in the ceiling. They chirrup cholera from the roof. 
they appear like magician's assistants sewn in half, their blue-eyed head on one side of a bookshelf partition, their back end bizarrely on the other side, the partition apparently passing through their middle. British friends report goats, deer and peacocks. I'm in touch with my childhood normality, geckos. The one in my bedroom has begun responding to simple hand gestures. It shows up for evening prayers. Last night it chirruped when I danced. Perhaps it's becoming holy. We're not lonely in quarantine. Not at all. Well, it's, it was really terrible for the first three days, but no, it's, it's really, really good because it's as if I have one sort of head in the morning and another sort of head in the evening. And I sleep mm-hmm. from about 11 p.m. through to nearly 2 a.m., and then I do stuff from 2 a.m. till about 3 p.m., and then I sleep again from 3 to about 7. Oh, wow. And it seems it's really felt horrible for a few days, but then it started feeling so natural, mm-hmm. and I sleep like a baby. Oh, wow. Maybe I should try it. I think people should try it. They used to do it in the early modern era. Yeah, and monks used to do it. And I couldn't see any other way of managing because my York teaching often starts at 5 a.m. from the dead time. Mm. But then I'm also signed up to, as a student to do a philosophy course in the States, and that often starts at 8 p.m. from the dead time, which is 1 a.m. UK time. And then, of course, there's having to get dinner in this time zone. So yeah. the two shifts are the only way. But really, if you do try it, give it three or four days to change over, and then you might get hooked. Wow. And I thought my schedule was difficult to manage. <laughs> You've trumped me. What is it like where you are? I was talking to Maya Chowdhury, who's in Manchester, and she was telling me terrible stories of getting no kind of flower in the shops at all. Uh, it's fine where I am, actually. I'm, I'm, in, uh, I'm in Didsbury, in okay. suburban, suburban Manchester, and uh, and... Yeah, it's fine. It's you know quiet streets, pretty well stocked shops. It's uh, it's pretty uh, it's pretty civilized at the moment. Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. People seem to be in very different circumstances in different parts of the country. Exactly. Yeah. How how is it in Trinidad? Well, we have a wonderful prime minister who is a qualified volcanologist, who qualified in the local university, wow. and the volcanology team is also the earthquake team. One of the things they do is public awareness and, and uh, business advice and disaster preparedness. Wow. So he instantly went into disaster preparedness mode and told the nation that it wasn't a state of emergency and we were not going to treat it as an emergency, but it will take necessary measures. And there was a cruise ship which had come with a load of infected people and he promptly quarantined them all in a commandeered hospital Eight of them died, but the rest recovered. And the rest of us are in complete lockdown, except for essential services. Even the post office only does welfare checks. They're very polite armed guards doing roadblocks in the streets. <laughs> All the supermarkets and so on have got temporary sinks and soap. And uh, mm-hmm. people are being allowed a special kind of leave called pandemic leave, uh, which doesn't affect their sick pay or anything mm. so he's being really humane and he's he's doing a press conference every single day mm. but also factories like the angostura bitters factory because angostura is a, a trinidadian thing mm. are all turning themselves to making personal protective equipment and supplies and sanitizer we have two visiting writers from guyana very young men 
who was supposed to be here at the University of the West Indies for Campus Literature Week, mm. and now we've had them for five weeks. And they've been given a university house and they're getting food and money, but, but basically we've just had to adopt them. Oh, wow. How are they finding that? Well, they didn't know each other very well. No, they're living together as housemates mm. under lockdown. And <laughs> they to be getting on okay, but they only had one novel, which oh, was, no. a gothic, it was a Jamaican gothic horror about zombie animals. <laughs> so I managed to get a box of books conveyed to them so they didn't go completely mad. Oh, bless you. <laughs> You, you might have saved some bloodshed there. So have you, been, have you been able to write during this time? I've been doing so much. It's, I'm almost sort of dead with output because I have a new job at the University of York, which I'm really pleased with, but it was due to start on the 14th of April. Hmm. I mean, it has started. And York is a very humane university. So is that a bird in the background, by the way? It is. There are lots of birds. <laughs> okay. And that, that one's, I'm not sure what that one is, but usually you get a Keskidi, which is from the French, Keskildi, what is he saying? Mm. And there are also wild parrots, where there were some forest fires on the hill, yeah. and uh, basically displaced some birds, which now are, are doing things in the garden. Mm. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted. You were telling me about the productivity. Yes, so the University of York is being incredibly humane, and not assessing first year modules in the Department of English uh, and not making attendance compulsory. Hmm. But uh, I've learned or am learning to use new software and I'm feeling tempted to create uh, all sorts of online content uh, far beyond requirements. Hmm. And I think it's a sort of uh, poetic drive uh, to be doing and making and offering something and connecting somehow I'm making ridiculous little films off my phone and making small installations with candles and water and refractions. And I managed to set a piece of a carnival costume on fire that I didn't notice until after I'd done the filming. Oh, no. And I'm sending those out both to university and to other platforms. Well, one, one of the things that I've been asking people is, do you think that, that writers, and let, I mean, let's say creators generally, but particularly writers have... Um, you know, a responsibility at all in a time like this? Or, or another way to look at it, I guess, is just, you know, what contribution can we make to help to ease the situation? I, I would say that bringing a quality of attention to daily life and being able to connect in the imagination and being able to keep alive in the imagination what it is that embodied presence means to keep alive what it is uh, to enjoy the sense of touch when the sense of touch isn't available, to project yourself as if you're some sort of Renaissance poet or troubadour into the twisting of eye beams with another person, and uh, to have a sense of being part of a greater harmony, even in separation, is something writers are practiced at doing, but I don't think it's a task that should be required of anyone right mm. now. Tell us about the piece that you read. Yeah, the piece that I read is not a particularly soothing piece. It's quite a jumpy piece about being locked down in the house where I grew up in Trinidad, which is in a seismically active zone. And Touchwood, we haven't had any major earthquakes. We had quite a big, long one within the last couple of years. 
but one is expected and no technology exists to predict it. The other thing is that there are hurricanes which have been arriving at unpredictable times. We have a rhyme here, which is June too soon, July stand by, August come must, September remember, October all over. But since the 1980s, we've really registered climate change in a visceral way because hurricanes like Gilbert and Ivan, which devastate the economies of entire islands like Grenada or lift the roofs of entirely university complexes as happened in Jamaica, are coming out of season. But, but we do have a disaster preparedness mentality. We've got candles, matches, you know, water tanks, tinned food as part of the ordinary cycle of the year. The other thing we've got is mosquito-borne diseases. So I think for people in the UK who don't expect death by dengue fever or you know, maiming of children by Zika or anything like that, unless they're on holiday or have a diasporic family, for people in the UK it might be harder unless they have particular kinds of religion, to imagine an enemy of the air. I'm not sure the virus is an enemy. I think, you know, it, it's, it's a consequence of the exercise of free will among humans to have bad practice in how we live with our environment as much as anything else. But my story was a kind of darkly humorous take on that sense of multiple environmental precarities which you live with in this part of the Southern Caribbean. And there's a kind of adaptability which comes from that. Uh, yeah, okay, we've, we've got stuff happening in the earth, in the sea, in the sky all the time. This is something else. Let's settle into it. That was me talking with Varney Capaldeo. And now we're going to hear from Michelle Green. And today, all the cleaners are making rags. You have been preparing for this moment, peeling thin strips of your heart and rolling them into neat coils, protective. And so when the emergency hits, the big one, you are ready. Two liter bottles of tap water lining the baseboard of the kitchen floor, ready with tins of tomatoes, dried peas, ready with candles and jigsaws and the inside of your own mind. Name something you can see, something you can touch. An instinctive phone tree, a contingency plan, efficiency in place of ease. And when the emergency hits, you open the room inside your own mind and you make it your base. Metal desk, plastic chair, make it your home. Shutters at the windows, no glass. Make it the place from which you will weather. Water moving as cloud, as breath, droplet. The concrete floor and your prominent center knuckle. Come back to it again, all the ways you've learned to fill a room with hope and mist. The emergency hits, and this time, you are calm as a pocket knife. And you comfort your people by knowing just what to do. Oil the blade. Exercise at 10 each day. Walk at four. Pretend you're back in the raft, but this time keep your tongue in your mouth. Dig a hole. Fill it in again. No future and no past. That's the way this works. That's how you hold your footing on a funhouse floor. Oxyacetylene for the seams. And don't make eye contact with yourself when you pass the mirror. 
eat some sugar, throw it up again. Make rags from the fabric of the day and wash your feet. Sit on the step and listen to the night creatures moving in the bushes, turning leaf fall, pushing sand. What time is it right now in Calgary, in Aden? What time is it in Kelvindale? Count stars. There is a planet or a satellite or your mother. There is the whole of you reduced to atomic mass. There is infinity and the scream of an owl there. If you're going to drink, drink too much, too often, too hard, make bad choices. Stare your bad choices in the eye. Write vague and overblown poems to convince yourself that your bad choices are meaningful. Hold your breath as you pass through the neck at the deepest part of the night and fall. Land on the edge of a perfect bell curve. We have survived worse, have been surviving worse, some of us. It feels perverse to say it right now, to admit to the breadth of our knowledge, our skill at faking deep sleep, at distraction, bellow and fumes, our ways with a blowtorch. Here comes the edge, you say. Again, here it is, right here beside my sleeping bag, my scar. And this time, Cassandra, you will be believed. There's one friend in particular, um, you know, she lives alone and her partner doesn't live with her and her mm. mental health's not great at the best of times. Um, yeah. And initially she was like, no, that's it. I, you know, I have to be locked down by myself. But her partner's mm. convinced her we are a household, actually. You know, I'm mm. not visiting other people, you know, we're doing all the, all the stuff we're supposed to be doing. And I'm so mm. relieved. I'm so glad. So, yeah, they're, they're doing exactly that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, mental health is paramount as well right now, actually. It yes, is. yes, it is. And being, you know, stuck alone for a long time, that's, that's good oh. for very few people. I'm very jealous of the people yeah. who, that's, who thrive on that. Yeah, I, I don't know anyone, actually. <laughs> no, I know I lots of people who were, who were good at being alone. I'm pretty good at being alone. I lived alone for years and I'm, yeah. I'm pretty good at it. But, um, but there's, there's choosing to be alone and then there's having to be alone and they're, they're not at all the same thing no <laughs> yeah no they're, no they're not I feel that I feel the same yes. actually you know I've, I've you know I mean when you're a writer alone yeah. time is that's time with your art right it's time to, yeah, yeah. to develop and practice and and you know one of the positives of this is that I'm being incredibly productive um, are you yeah I mean I, I actually had I needed some really quality alone time with my PhD thesis right before yeah. right before this happened um oh my and, god uh, and you've been and, able to focus yeah it's been great my phd thesis has, is, has been like a, a dog having its belly rubbed it's never had so much attention <laughs> <laughs> that's so great <laughs> yeah and it's that's it's, amazing it's, it's not too far away from being finished now i reckon it's kind of uh, yeah I, i've almost done like a first draft and of the whole well no i've almost done a, a good draft of the whole thing and then it will need a bit of tweaking and probably sort of four to six months away from being completely finished now, I think. Holy thank, shit, that's amazing. Thank God. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Wanted so you don't need you don't need to get that that t-shirt made. Don't ask me about my PhD. You're not going to need to do that because you've no. you've been cranking it out and I'm going to I'm just going to get one that says fuck my PhD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, win. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing though. Like well done because it seems to be going either one way or the other with all the writers. It's either yeah. Oh my God, I'm writing all the things, or I, I ha literally have not even written a shopping list. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I was fighting, desperately fighting, because I know I'm I'm inherently my na default position is lazy, and so I, I've really? just been I've just oh yeah I fight against it and oh. constantly, and as a okay. result of, as a result of that I work all the time and I get loads done. But I mean, if it was, if I just followed my natural impulse, I'd be you know waking up at 11 p.m. Oh, and oh I, okay. Watching I movies and stuff. So there's, I, there's a lot of discipline involved. Exactly. It's, it's not, you're not naturally a, a kind of get up at five and start writing person. Okay. No, no. I, but I, I forced myself to do that so that I can, so that I can be productive and get stuff finished and, and not slip into that sort of um, inactive state of torpor where <laughs> getting yeah. anything done becomes harder and harder. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I get you. I get you. So, so how about yeah. you? Have, have you been, have you been producing during this time? Well, no, I have been doing a lot of admin. I have been doing a huge amount of admin to try and secure my very unstable income. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah. Just, just cause I, I'm, I'm a hundred percent freelance and I have been for years and that's entirely, that's not because I'm like, you know, totally rocking the freelance life is because I have a disability and I couldn't you know I used to do like a part-time day job that was my rent money my council tax my food and then anything I made on freelance on top of that was a bonus and um, I, you know I got ill I couldn't get into the office anymore you know physically couldn't get up the stairs mm. so so um yeah I was like okay I guess I'm freelance <laughs> now so so it's always it's kind of um this like uncertainty is is been something that I've lived with for a long time. Like, yeah. um, and um, and also, I I've been thinking about this a lot. The fact that um, everyone's retreated into their houses and you know is having to find sort of creative and and unusual ways of like reaching out to each other. That's mm. a really familiar thing to to people who are housebound because of yeah. illness or whatever. So I'm yeah. like. Oh, I have a few skills with this. <laughs> I I know how to do this. <laughs> there you go. You're yeah, ready to go. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so it's weird. It feels it feels very familiar and and very um, exhausting at the same time because I'm super aware that I'm I'm running on adrenaline. So I'm kind of mm. like all my pacing stuff that I've learned over years and years of dealing with like you know poor energy supplies. That's out the window. And so yeah. I've either got like full on, I'm, I'm jacked with adrenaline <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to do everything. And then all of a sudden it hits. And I, I'm, I had it like close to almost falling unconscious the other day, actually. I was like, oh, wow. I suddenly need to sleep right now. <laughs> Lay down oh, yikes. asleep for four hours. Like, so it's, yeah, it's, it's weird. Take Time care of yourself, Michelle. Weird. Oh yeah. There's soft surfaces everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Self-care, yeah, yeah. Michelle, self-care. Yeah, yeah, but it's, but it, but how do you do that in a, in a weird situation like oh, this, yeah. you know, it's, um, yeah, it brings up lots of things. It brings up reminiscent kind of uh, moments of fear from the past, except this is odd mm. because everything looks the same. Um, yeah. In fact, everything looks healthy, healthier and happier than it was. You know, birds are doing all their springtime stuff and, yeah, and everything. And, it, um, 
it's yeah. a very it's a very strange kind of cognitive dissonance that isn't it because you yeah, yeah you, as you get used to this situation and you know uh, I'm not sick I haven't got sick I don't expect to get sick even yeah. if I even if I did get sick I would expect that it would be mild and yeah. the as you get used to the situation it becomes a new normal it's oh, yeah. it, it really jars with with the the enormity of the situation that's that I think was much yeah. more tangible when uh, when when it all when this all kicked off you know that's right yeah that's mm -hmm. right and because there was that big period of shift and and it's um it's difficult to stay still I think that mm -hmm. when you have something you can point at and you you can define the, the outlines of it um, as terrifying as the thing could be, it's 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 tangible. You know what I mean? You know what? Yeah. Okay, I either need to fight this thing, I confront this thing, or I need to run away from this thing, or I need to hide from this thing, or I need to, you know, all of those mm. all those uh, primal instincts. And 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 this situation just, how, yeah. <laughs> what? Do we, where's the outline of this? We have no idea. We have, we genuinely have no idea. That's yeah. It's it's big and weird and strange. What what are some of the positives that you think will come from this time? Do you think we'll get? Uh, I mean, we've got to come up with new tactics, like you said, for, for connecting do. with people. But we've also we're sort of we're conditioning ourselves to avoid people as well. Yeah. You know, you, you you when you know when I go out for my run, <laughs> you know, or a, or a mid afternoon walk, and me and everyone else on the street, you see a person, you instinctively avoid them, move six feet yeah. away. You know, that's 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 sure to have some kind of lingering emotional impact. I'm I'm sure, you know. Oh, I I think it will. I think it already is actually. I mean, one of the things I I think I'm worried about. I'm really worried about for all of us is what what's the impact of not being touched yes. for months, just yeah. touched, just even. You know, one of my, my friends said the other day, so she's self-isolating alone and it's proving very challenging and um, she's a very gregarious person mm. and, um, you know, so she's doing social distance walks with friends and stuff, all of that kind of stuff. So, there, you know, there's, there's contact, but it's like you say, the distance and, and she yeah. said, you know, the closest thing that I've come to another human touching me in the last month has been when I paid in cash and the cashier's finger almost touched my palm and that that was it <laughs> and like do you know she's keeping a running tally on how many days it's been since she's had a hug and i i'm just like oh, we're geez. you know we're we're tactile creatures and i know everyone's yeah. got their different levels of what what's good for them in terms of being touched but but for most people that's that's really important like it it feels mm. it feels crucial and i Absolutely. i am worried about that you know and and worried about the sense of um like so something that'll be familiar to anyone who's, who's been housebound before um before this because of for, for any reason is um you know you use um say social media and whatnot in a different way like i i got a lot more kind of um yeah just like sharing very personal things on facebook that i you know before becoming ill i, I was like oh no i'm not I'm not going there, you know, but when that is your contact with people and that's your interaction and that's your way of communicating, like you, you adapt to it and, um, sure. and it's, it's a weird disconnect. It's a weird, um, so someone said to me the other day, actually, we were, we were chatting over Zoom, um, so we can see each other, we can hear each other, our, our, the sound of our words and the movements of our mouths are not syncing up <laughs> because <laughs> everyone's using the internet right now. And, um, 
so that was a bit that's strange so you can't get you know lip reading's hard if someone's got a, a hearing impairment but also it's like on on our you know our little our monkey brains you know the like the soft furry animals that we are we're seeing other people we're hearing other people but we can't smell other people and we can't touch other people and that's jarring there's something very jarring about it so I, I don't know what it's I don't know what it is that's gonna that's gonna come out of it but I think that I don't know I'm just feeling feeling very conscious about trying to just take care of my the tactile kind of needs of my body like just yeah you know I went outside yesterday and stood on the step of my my house and spent a solid 15 minutes just smelling the sheep that are in the next field you know, they're, they're like there's the sheep it just rained they're all smelling like sheep you know and yeah oh it was it was really it was really grounding i feel very i don't know if you feel this but i feel very much more like um heightened senses at the moment food tastes mm. very different right now well yeah. i mean i mean i i wish i had some soggy sheep living next door to me now Right, I tell you, man. Yeah, listen. If you've got if you've got a like fisherman sweater, stick yeah. that out in the out in the rain. <laughs> Leave it for a couple of days, and then <laughs> put a bit of wet grass next to it, and then curl up in bed, sniff, hugging it, and crying. Magic. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. It's magic, exactly. <laughs> Episode four of Two Minute Stories in Lockdown. What have we learned? What have we learned today? We learned about the Trinidadian lockdown and the value of a soggy sheep. I genuinely would like to sniff a soggy sheep right about now. I think it would be a good sensory experience. It would wake up the old factory. Don't you think? I think so. Who's on the next show, Chris? Well, the next show may well be the last. I haven't quite decided yet. I might do a sixth. Five or six, we'll see. Anyway, on the next show, you're going to hear from novelist Monique Roffey, whose novel, The Mermaid of Black Conch, came out at the start of the lockdown. And she's going to talk about what it's like to try and launch a bloody book during the lockdown. Spoiler, it's not easy. And she's going to be joined by the poet Vicky Morris, who's going to talk about 
launching an organisation to nurture young poets in Sheffield. She does great work, Vicky, and she's read a lovely piece. And I'm going to close the show, as I tend to do, with a little piece that I've knocked up. I hope you're all doing well. Hanging in there. Are you hotly anticipating the return of football like me? No, just me. I need a way to fill my Saturdays. This is called Movies. They circulate, don't they? The memories, the dreams, like the strands of an experimental movie. Like the Morley film in Manchester, the dirt cheap documentary in which she navigates her own barely remembered past. She needs old faces to fill in the gaps. I don't care how many women you slept with, but how many men, one interviewee asks, and we hear no answer. Why don't you make a film about somebody else? Another asks. No answer. Your favourite film was Annie Hall. Alvy Singer wandering back and forth in time to try and understand. That heartbreaking ending, Diane Keaton behind the plate glass of the coffee shop, inaudible like a ghost gone from Alvy's life. You watched it, cuddling on an L-shaped sofa with your Andean partner in the sitting room of an Airbnb in Sale, a northern winter out the windows, and you suddenly realised you were watching a film made by a probable child molester. Time for a new favourite. And what would that be? The tenderness crescendo and one-liners of the commitments? Something French, Chaco d'Art, a country for old men, killing the hero off screen, 20 minutes of screen time left. Two fingers flicked at the mainstream. 17 or so, angry at you weren't sure what, you watched Spike Club through once, rewound it on video, folks, and watched it through again, pressing pause to catch the single frames of Tyler Durden. Even sensitive 17-year-old lads have shit to work through. What does it matter, though, really? Favourite this, favourite that. Perhaps they tell the story of self. The bands, the songs, the lines, the films, knitting together a few of your strands, making obliquely some sense of the self that even you can't see. Because they circulate, don't they? The memories, the dreams, like the strands of an experimental movie, like the Morley film in Manchester, the dirt cheap documentary in which she navigates her own barely remembered past. 